Portland House is a relic, a grandiose ode to Cardiff's illustrious past when the bay bustled with ships taking coal from the valleys all over the world. Built in 1926, it was a marquee building for the then National Provincial Bank with ornate marble pillars, a large arched glass ceiling and an impressive Doric frieze, whatever that is. But as the ships, the shipping companies, the industry and the prosperity all set sail, Portland House, like so many of the buildings around it, became a mausoleum, a forgotten, crumbling testament to what was and reminder of what's left. Thanks to millions of pounds of investment and regeneration, a mile-long barrage to create a tide-free freshwater lagoon and a new focus on leisure, tech and the service industry, these grand old buildings are slowly being brought back into use. And on the fifth floor of said house, there is a quiet revolution going on. I'm Alex Feeney, host of the Accidental Startup Podcast, and I've been to see Malcolm Sloan, founder of Sports Injury Fix. And he wants to revolutionize the way people find and get treatment for their injuries and how therapists and other specialists can be as good at business as they are at treating people. So Sports Injury Fix is a platform, uh, well, it's the therapist platform. What that means is two aspects. So it is a platform for physiotherapists, sports massage therapists, osteopaths, etc. They are people that are trained to treat, not run a business. And certainly most of them are one, two person businesses. So we provide software solutions and are a technology enabler to help make that business side of their business, or the technology side of their business, nice and simple and easy for them. Electronic patient notes, online booking, payment processing, as simple as possible. So it allows them to focus on what they enjoy and what they want to do, which is treating patients. On the flip side of it, from the public's perspective, I'm a runner and I've hurt my knee, is what you tend to hear. I'm a footballer, I've hurt my ankle. But then somehow you're expected to know whether you should see a physio, a chiro, an osteo, a sports therapist, a podiatrist, a soft tissue therapist, a sports rehabilitator and umpteen other different names and titles and professions, let alone within those professions, whether anyone's any good. So we simplify it from that side as well and distill all of these different professions and people and draw out well, what are the particular knowledge, skills and expertise that those people have in the language that the public understand, which is, I'm a runner and I've hurt my knee, so who is best able to help me? This sort of story normally starts with a, uh, an inspiration or quite painful moment in life where there was some sort of hideous skiing accident or something like that, and you thought, well, I can't, I need, I need to know how to treat this. Is, is there anything like that, or where did the idea come from? <laughs> so I'd love to say there is a, a grandiose, impressive story. Like I know they always say you should craft and make sure. Um, but it's a bit harder on a podcast because you can't see me. But skinny bloke, scrawny bloke, made of glass. Uh, I've broken myself multiple times over the years. Uh, as you can tell by my accent, we lived sat in Wales, but I'm not from Wales. So I've lived all over and just always found it incredibly frustrating. that Every time I've been in a new area or had a new injury, um, it's just so, so difficult, not only to find the right person to help treat you. And actually we found out the average person sees three or more therapists before they find the right one, but then actually to get hold of them. 
because most of the time they're one, two person businesses, they're treating people. So you hit their voicemail, they phone you back at six o'clock in the evening when they've finished their day, but you're then finished your day and spending time with the kids and trying to get them to bed and you can't take the call. So it can take two, three days before you've even got a booking with one of them. Yeah, it was personal frustration was what it was born out of over a number of years. And then the slightly cheesy thing, I guess, of living in Wales, but actually having come from England, then I was working as a management consultant and I was spending my life commuting to London and various other places and working away. And suddenly when you have the newborn baby and you're sat there and some people love the fact they work away because you get the sleep, etc. Um, but I was very much one of those dads that when actually I want to see this little thing grow and develop and I want to spend time with them. So then it was, okay, what can I do in that provides me with personal flexibility? And the obvious thing is to set up a an online business and then you can live wherever, work wherever. You have the ultimate flexibility. Wow. When, when was that light bulb moment then? When did that suddenly get the, the, the sort of the clouds clear and you went, I can do this? Uh, well, I guess it was a gradual thing, really. So it was back in 2016 that I first registered the business. Um, and as with everything, and particularly with the management consultancy side, I'd always been taught, you know, you don't just dive straight in. It's all about testing ideas and seeing what ideas work. And so then it was a gradual process of starting to test out the idea, ask the right people the right questions in the right way, um, get some critical feedback, understand perhaps how it could look, how it could work, start to shape, what's the feasibility, what's the market size, what would it take to actually start this um, build a very basic website, start pushing that out, etc. Um, so it was very much a stepped process. And it was only then the beginning of 2019 was actually then when we went full time on it. Because by that stage, we'd I'd dropped down to four days a week. Uh, I'd got two business partners in where we'd got investment in. And that allowed us then to make the jump and go full time on it. And yeah, here we are a year on and now we're in our own office. I was going to say that we are, we should point out, we're, we're in the new office. You have uh, moved out of the NatWest Accelerator, which is where you, you were based. And, uh, and, and here we are. So how is, how is uh, life in, a, in your own office and the, the space that you call your own? It's absolutely lovely. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, it just makes us so happy. As a, as a company, then we produce a lot of content ourselves, trying to help patients and help therapists. So doing various webinars and podcasts and videos of exercises, et cetera, or talking actually about the business side, how to reduce your admin burden, how to make it easier for a patient to book with you on customer journeys, et cetera. So having a space that we can film um, when previously we were in a co-working space, the Nowest Accelerator, which was great, but then you're always squatting in someone's office or you've then got someone making a loud sales recruitment phone call next to you when you're trying to film, etc. I'm just going to cut in here because I think it's disclosure time. The NatWest Accelerator is one of the ways NatWest supports startups and small businesses across the UK. Now, among the many things they provide are business support and coaching through their own in-house advisors. They also organize outside guest speakers with industry experience, arrange workshops to develop strategic skills, introductions to potential contacts and investors, and provide co-working space in nine very swanky hubs dotted across the UK. And I promise I did not just read that from a brochure. 
Eat Sleep Media, the production company behind this podcast, the one that I hadn't realised I'd started, is supported by NatWest. Now, they don't pay us for this, they don't tell us what to say, and they don't necessarily endorse our views or the views of anyone we speak to who is on the programme. So with that out of the way, what Malcolm is saying about co-working spaces is very true. They can be amazingly inspirational and collaborative spaces to be when you're surrounded by people going through the same experiences you are. But there comes a time when you should fly the nest. And that's what Sports Injury Fix has done. Back to Malcolm then. And I carried on by asking him how much he's drawn on his experience as a management consultant in building the business. Or whether actually owning the business has changed his mindset. I found it's flitted. So at first I thought I needed to change. But then I became too focused on the here and now. So actually then went back to embracing what I'd been teaching before around taking the time to make sure you've planned out your strategies, you've got your business model canvas, you know, you understand your value proposition, all of that. Preparing so you've got clarity. Um, So you know why you're doing it, not just that you're doing it, you're, you're, you're working towards something longer term. Yes, yeah, and sometimes that can feel slightly frustrating because you might delay doing something because you're taking the time to truly understand a problem, to explore extra options, even if you think right now, you know, that's the best thing for it. Um, Then taking the time to, you know, the who, what, where, when, how and why, um, take that time to understand it, take the time to truly understand, right, do I understand the problem I'm solving Am I just using vanity metrics? Do I truly understand it? What challenge have I given myself? Have I brought in those external people to challenge it? Right, have I got the clarity of what I'm doing? What are the timescales I'm doing? What's my plan if things work, if things don't work? Not planning too much because you know change will happen. But right, what are those tests and assumptions that I've got in place? And how am I going about tackling that? That's a lot of questions. It's a lot of questions. Do you answer them all at once? I mean, how do you know when you're answering them? <laughs> and that's the challenge. Uh, and the way my brain works is sometimes a bit of a stream of consciousness. So it probably if I listen back to that last sentence, I'll be like, what the hell? Are we, what are you banging on about, you bloody idiot? Um, it's going but, in, so you can listen back to it. It's, uh, the, so you, you, you'll know, yeah. you'll know. <laughs> that's going to be a painful bit. Um, but I guess it's that the way my brain works anyway is I, I normally smash that all down on a whiteboard and then work it all through and have a clarity. Mm. Uh, and the best thing that I find that's out there is the one-page thing, the business model canvas uh, by Strategizer. And working through that, it has a really nice structure, it has a really nice flow. And actually, you can use that for your whole business, but it also all the different components in the business as well. And it really breaks things down and helps you really focus and focus on what's important. Because often, as I'm sure you know, juggling a couple of jobs yourself, then what you don't do and those decisions can often be more critical and harder than actually what you do do and trying to do that mm. and it's that cutting away the wheat and the chaff and uh well, that's a terrible phrase as well because you sort the wheat from the chaff um so uh, yeah don't cut away the wheat and the chaff yeah. what you need is to keep the wheat <laughs> and to cut away the chaff yeah yeah, yeah that, well. that's where you're going wrong yeah exactly and uh, no wonder we're um yeah there we go um, <laughs> but yeah not doing the things that are stopping you achieving what you really want can be really important because so much of your time is is wasted doing things that don't add value. So really focusing what adds value and what is that core thing I need to achieve 
um, and then focusing on that. What's the revenue model? Where's the money come from? So the money comes from the therapists, but I guess it's, it's fueled by the public as well. The challenge that a lot of therapists have is actually they're, depending what stage they're at, then their bookings can be quite transient and it can be very boom and bust to a certain extent. And for some of them, when they're starting out as well, particularly at that lower end, the one, two, three person business, then often it's a bit of a lifestyle business. So actually paying for big, expensive software, which is out there already, just it isn't commercially viable for them. So it was actually a number of association leads that came to us and asked us to develop something specifically for that market. And so then it was, okay, well, we can have a revenue model that charged them a large monthly subscription, like all the other stuff that's out there. But actually, that would create the same problem that doesn't solve the problem that's there. So actually, our revenue model was to have a, uh, a very low monthly subscription for the therapists to give them access to the platform, to have a listing on the platform, to have access to all this software. And then actually, depending how they use that software that and the number of bookings they have then that's them when they just pay a little bit extra so we do the payment processing for them and we make a small amount of money on each booking that goes through but as far as they're concerned it's still a a, a really low payment processing rate it's really competitive and it allows them to take payment up front uh, it gives them assurance that then if the patient doesn't show up they've got paid for that no-show which is one of their big problems as well. Can you tell me how many therapists you have on uh, available now? For people, if I came to you with a knee injury, what sort of choice would I have? Yeah, so if you go on the site today, then you'll see about a thousand therapists all around the country. Um, so there's quite a number that are there. And yeah, pretty much wherever you are, then there'll be someone there. The way we've approached it makes things quite interesting because we've almost created some unrealistic expectations at times. Uh, for example, we had one where we had somebody that was up in Anglesey. I play badminton and I've hurt my knee. So I want a badminton specialist who also specialises in knee injuries on the island of Anglesey. And there aren't any in your site, therefore your site is rubbish. And we had to kindly point out that Actually, when you look around the entire country, there aren't a huge number of therapists. I, I was going to really say specific, yes. Yeah. How many are there? But I, I, bet it's, I bet you can count them one hand across the country. Uh, it's, it's higher than you think, actually. Oh, really? I think it's about, well, bear in mind we've got a cross-section of a 1,000, and there's mm. probably maybe 20,000 therapists in total out there, the private. And, yeah, we've got 34, I think. We oh. specialise in badminton. Right. Um, but then you factor on badminton and knee, knee injuries, then you filter down even more. So I don't actually quite know what the ratio is. But yeah, it's interesting with that. We've had to do a bit of um, awareness for people to yeah. help them realise that, you know what, if you live in the sticks, there probably are only one or two therapists within maybe a 10, 20 mile radius, let alone what they specialise in. So... Um, yeah, you've got to manage expectations. So that, that one, that one, so that one came out of the blue. Then you weren't ready for that until sort of it dropped into your inbox. You went, oh, um, it was something we discussed. But I guess it's that classic thing of it's only when you really genuinely engage with the public um, that you realise that you would never think of all of the scenarios imaginable. And we talked about that about. What would people do? You know, would they? Would people think it literally, and would they assume then there's therapists out there for everything? No, surely they wouldn't. Surely they'd have the common sense to realise. Well, I live in the sticks, so 
you know, there's probably only a handful of therapists here and they're only going to specialise in a few things. So actually, I'll just search for who are the therapists in my area and then I'll whittle down on the, on the specialism. Yeah. Um, but but, well, we, but we, live, we live in an on-demand society though, don't you? We, we live in a, a world where you just put in such and such into a search engine and you, sort of, you get given a load of results. So I, I suppose that is, that's an expectation that people have now. It's true. Yeah, it really is. I mean, how many times do you put something in to Google and search and it doesn't come up with anything? Never happens. Never happens. Never. So that then is the expectation that's there and it's the expectation for everything. And it's actually, it's one of the big challenges for the therapists, um, which has been really interesting because from a therapist's perspective, then they're there going, well, I'm a one, two person business. Um, I, I manage my patients and it's all about personal interaction and actually, yeah, I do everything by phone calls and manage it through paper, etc. And actually, it's when you talk to them and go, but you do realise the public now, and particularly the the younger generation, as an or increasingly older generation, they want that on the demand service. If they're in their lunch hour and they think I want a sports massage and or I want to book a physio appointment, they want to be able to do it there and then. If they have to phone up and leave a voicemail and they don't get a call back until six in the evening, the chances are they've already booked elsewhere. And that creates a problem for them. So has there been, uh, so on the public side, you've been learning things. So on the therapist side as well, has there been an element of educating them in in terms of what people's expectations are now? Yeah, actually, um, more than we thought, actually. We, because we've got um, a guy called Mike James, uh, he's known as the endurance physio. So one of our directors is a a therapist himself. He started off as a strength and conditioning coach in the military, um, turns uh, sports rehabber, turned physio. So bridges the lovely exercise versus rehab professional divide and the physio and non-physio divide of which there's silly amounts of politics. So it's great to have somebody that branches across that um, and is focused on, right, well, how do we help people rather than silly professional politics? From a therapist perspective, then we quite hadn't appreciated how much it is that they are trained to treat, not run a business, and the challenges which they face, and equally, just how slowly that profession is adopting new technology and actually keeping up with what the public want. Mm. To get the whole thing up and running, then obviously it's taken time for or to, for revenue to come. Are you raising revenue yet? You had to have investment beforehand. Can you tell me how you approach that? Yeah, so we've done both. We've uh, raised investment, and yeah, we're we're earning revenue now. So that was always the approach because it's a platform business. the The primary challenge with all platform businesses is having two sides of a market, um, and equally, there are so many platform businesses out there that you look at and they've got the most amazing technology that's there, but actually there isn't the market need and there isn't either side, or maybe they'll have lots of one side of it. Um, And we learned a lot through, there was a company called Zesty um, that was out there. They raised $9 million in VC funding, huge amounts of money. And to our knowledge, well, they're certainly no longer in the physio and the rehab market. they um, exited that fairly swiftly because they didn't understand the market uh, and they made a number of mistakes, which has been lovely for us because 
it's meant that we've been able to look at those mistakes, learn from them and hopefully make a, a positive go of it. We certainly are so far. So we took the approach of let's create the website and let's create it uh, for free and let's create a free platform to push that out there to test the market, to test the demand and also knowing that therapists will only pay money when patients are there and they see value that's there, particularly because money is tight for a lot of them as well. So it was let's make it free for therapists to sign up. What that does is then that starts to build a critical mass. We start engaging, putting out content that starts creating the relationships on the public side. The public starts seeing value. The public start coming along to it. And that provided the nice time and platform for us then to get the investment of saying, look, we have built something. We have proven demand. This is now our uh, next steps in terms of we've got the requests and demand from association leads to build the software that will help the therapists. That will provide further monetization options. And these are our plans to grow and expand, not just in the UK, but globally. Uh, etc and taking that stepped process showing the assumptions we'd made showing how we tested those assumptions showing what assumptions would be proven wrong and then how it adapted and changed then actually it meant we had a very credible story um, equally then for a lot of businesses they don't have the cross-section of skill set when they're starting out my background's a management consultant um, so I'm great at solving problems I'm great at strategizing I've done sales roles before and I'm not too shabby at that but am I a therapist? no so as much as I've got that external view of the therapist world which is helping to succeed because it's a different view from a credibility perspective I need to draw some of that in so that led to getting Mike in that we've referenced before and also then as a non-exec director a guy called Rod Jakes uh, OBE now Dr Rod Jakes who's the head of medical services for the English Institute of Sport, former president of the Faculty of Sports and Exercise Medicine, basically the godfather of sports and exercise I was medicine. Say, that sounds like a man with a lot of letters after his name, as well as OBE now. So, that you, so but attracting someone of that calibre, then that's been an important uh, an endorsement, I would have thought, would be an important part of what you're doing. Yeah, hugely. Um, I had to break my hip in three places to get in front of him, but that's another story in itself. Um, but it shows you've got to take advantage of hands that are dealt it shows commitment as well you know that's that's, that's probably taking one for the team <laughs> it is it is um and then from the other side then okay well then if we've got the business side and the therapist and the clinical side sorted well it's then the technology side as well because anything we build is going to be handling patient data you don't want to be outsourcing tech that's patient data uh so then um James is our tech director, James Edgeworth, uh, absolutely phenomenal guy. So then bringing him on board uh, again. So that meant as a core management team of myself and Mike and James, then as an investor looking at that, well, that ticks all the main boxes. Okay, well, from a non-exec side and some of that guidance, okay, you've got Rod in place now. Wow, okay, that ticks a lot of boxes. So in terms of making yourself fit for investment, then it was key to covering the three different sort of branches of the business if you like and then but also then having somebody who can take that overview can take that step back and I want to see this working from a far view and then you know pitch in because you're it, it's so difficult to step away when you're working in the business all the time isn't it it really is um but it in terms of that you know how have I used those management consultancy <clears throat> skills then that's the bit that it's super important mm. and actually 
I started to see that our business was making some of the errors that I've been paid to go into other companies and sort. So actually it was about, right, I've got to practice what I preach. And actually then once you've done that once and you've seen the benefit of it, then you don't go back. Yeah, you might have times where you get a little bit caught up in the business, but actually you realise there's so much value to it. And actually it doesn't just accelerate you slightly, it's like you stamping on the accelerator because you've suddenly got clarity. In terms of you know, as a as a startup, then not only are you trying to bring your team with you on this journey, but you've also got all of your clients and everybody else. And that can be from your accountant to your investors to your first customers to any suppliers. If you're a one-man band, the chances are you'll work with somebody else, a, a designer or a freelancer or techie or something. When you have that clarity of vision and people can really buy into it, then it's super powerful and it's amazing what can be achieved. Growth then, strategy. What's the uh, next 12 months look like? Huge, basically. So we have been, um, we took a deliberate view that the healthcare market is all about credibility and reputation. And without that, you have nothing. Because we've become more and more of um, a technology enabler than perhaps we at first had thought we'd, we'd set out to do, then our competition in the software market is run by nerds, software geeks. Uh, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, given we've got two amazing ones ourselves. But it means I don't understand the market. So actually... What we've done, and you know, next weekend we're up at the National Running Show, for example, and so our two, our two tech guys will be on the stand working alongside therapists, learning from some of the best therapists around, genuinely understanding how they live, breathe, what really helps them, what they think helps them, and what we can see that we then know would help them of ideas they haven't even thought so about. So what yet. they don't know will help them then. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, the unknown unknowns <clears throat> and all of that. Yeah. Um, and... That is, uh, so we've taken that strategy of making sure we understand the market. We've built up reputations and partnerships now with six of the leading industry associations. We've got three or four of the leading ambassadors, or at least one from each of the main professions, all singing from the rooftops and saying how amazing Sports Injury Fix is and how it can help therapists. Mm. So now it's about... Right, we've created those channels, we've created those ambassadors, we've created those people that are marketing us for us. Right, how do we be really clever and savvy and then turn that into the increase in sales? Scale. Absolutely right. And as with everything, as we, as we grow, as we bring on new people, as we bring on new, um, new therapist businesses, well, then it's learning the whole time. Right, systems that we did manually before, right, well, how do we automate that? How do we grow at scale? We've been UK-focused, on our, uh, on our software, how do we then turn that global? One of the other aspects which we've always wanted to do was around continuing professional development. We know that therapists have to do a minimum 15 hours a year. Um, but it was then, right, let's grow the business to the point that we've got a critical mass of customers. We truly understand what makes them tick. We truly understand where... CPD is best needed and where it can genuinely help them and then let's launch that on a global basis so actually that's something that we're just starting to do and we've got an incredibly excited partnership that I can't 
talk about yet because the ink's not quite dry on it. We've not finalised everything, but with a leading leading company that would do as a partnership that would just absolutely supercharge that, and that would be bring affordable, easy to access, high quality CPD in bite sized chunks, forty five minutes. Um, for therapists globally to access anywhere from leading therapists around the world. Wow. Um, which will deal with a problem and challenge, which traditionally it's all face-to-face. They have to close the clinic for a day. They have to travel. They have to book a hotel. They have to pay for an expensive course. and They have to sit there, and the course might be rubbish, and then they get frustrated. And as they get busier, they're desperate for this. What can I do? Oh, the patient's cancelled, and I can just use that time, or my lunch hour, or just, you know when I'm sat at home for in the evening yeah. for an hour before I might, you know, watch a bit of TV or something, then how do we, we talked before, didn't we, around having to fit into the public's lives? Yeah. So how do we create CPD that fits into therapists' lives in yeah. the way they want? So you, you started off by coming up with solutions. You're still coming up with solutions as you, you know, learn more and more about the market, about the business, the industry as you go along. Absolutely. Um, very much adopt the the growth mindset side of continually learn and making sure we continually learn and you, you can't stand still and particularly in technology um, you really can't and that's why we've we've got the situation where we are now but the the plans and the aspirations when we start bringing in the the AI side the machine learning side to really help the therapists help them access from the the patient notes to suggestions of things and treatment that can work to actually transforming that whole therapist model of rather than waiting till you're injured to pay to go and see somebody well actually the future will be we'll probably all pay a therapist on a retainer they'll have access to all of our wearable data and technology um they can you can do online um, appointments and consultations and actually then the only time you physically see them is actually when you really really need it but actually, they've given you all of the advice and monitored and tracked everything that keeps you healthy, keeps you injury-free. So actually, you don't need to go and see them. And that is Malcolm Sloan, founder of Sports Injury Fix. You can find out more about them or book an appointment for that niggling knee injury you've been carrying by going to www.sportsinjuryfix.com. And that's uh, Sports Injury Fix, all one word. So what have I learned about his experience then? Well, Malcolm very rarely takes a step without first thinking it through very, very carefully. And he's reverted back to his management consultant past life to effectively hold himself to account and make sure he knows what he's doing and why he's doing it. Now, doing things like a business model canvas may sound like a waste of time for some, but for many, they are ways of connecting and, in fact, reconnecting with their business, who they are, why they're doing this, and what is the end goal. You can find a link to the Strategizer business model canvas Malcolm talks about in the podcast notes to this episode, as well as a link to the NatWest Accelerator for more information about how they can support your business. Oh, and while you're there, why not give this podcast a five-star review just to bump us up the rankings? You know, if you like what you hear, then please do show it. In the next edition of the Accidental Startup Podcast, I talk to two brothers. One of them has founded a recruitment company, the other a nursery. Both are taking a different approach, but both have ended up having similar experiences and ideas which are helping to shape the other's business. Sounds like absolute twaddle? Well, just wait and see. The Accidental Startup Podcast is an Eat Sleep Media production. It is hosted by Anchor, and the music in this episode is from Artlist. Artlist.